This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in. However you're doing so, be it through the free 1037 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and any of the number of ways you can consume your favorite podcast. It was a busy, if not a trying week, especially the last couple days, for the sport of professional wrestling, so let's waste a little time and get into the three count. And normally I open up with the biggest headlines dominating the sports, and it's usually three topics, but this time I'm going with two, because I think these two supersede everything else it could have been anything else in 2020 but this is big news we got to start off with and we'll start off with the one that hurts the most with Brody Lee passing away way too young at the age of 41 of course formerly known as Luke Harper Jonathan Huber his real name according to his wife Amanda who was a former indie wrestler that went by Cindy Sin said he was fighting with a non-COVID related lung issue and had been to the Mayo Clinic for quite some time fighting this lung issue and, of course, people want to jump on that, like Bruce Mitchell. I'm not going to get into that, because Bruce Mitchell, you can go to hell. I'll just leave it at that. But this news hit me like a ton of bricks. And I started watching an old match of his from the CZW days, WWE, and I remember looking up highlights of his career. Then I remembered I saw him wrestling twice in person at the Cajun Dome. And both were really fun matches, like at a, at a Raw show in 2014. I believe this is tape for main event, maybe. And it was Harper and Rowan taking on Los Matadors. This is like early on in the wide fan within like the first year before they broke up, got back together and broke up, got back together like three or four different times. And then they had a match at SmackDown against Team 3D. It was a tables match. This is right before the Royal Rumble 2016, which was a really fun one. And it was a really cool tables match. And the way they just dominated at the end was awesome. I can still remember. I wish I still had the photo of him, him and him, uh, Rowan putting him up. I think it was Devon. No, Bubba threw the table near the announce table because I was on, at the floor level that for that show. But I had a picture somewhere on my on my phone. I had to probably dig around for it a little bit. But it was just awesome to see that thing. And just remember that more than anything is actually seeing him live and in person. It hit me like a ton of bricks, especially when my buddy Dylan texted me about 7.30 Saturday night when the news broke. I was like, what just happened? What? And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I thought he was joking me. I, t- I looked up John Huber, John uh, Luke Harper, Brody Lee right away, and I just did not know the reaction at all, at all. Then we get to find out that it's like AW did something really cool that no one ever saw with their recent tapings, where Kenny Omega lost the AW title to his eight-year-old son Brody. Obviously, it's not canon. It was said meant to be a Christmas present to a son of a resident, also probably a Christmas present to Brody for him to see that in the midst of everything his dad was going through and everything that Brody was going through. And they were kind of doing that as well on Sunday with a picture JR showed of him and, and little Brody showing uh, talk, talking and hanging out at a Jacksonville Jaguars game that Sunday. And... I'll go personal for a minute saying having that moment of distraction means the world during a time like that when everything's just going through your head, you're immediately jumping to like worst case scenario. Because 
I dealt with that early early this year. My mother was at the hospital. She's okay now. She's 100% better. And I remember the night, and it was not COVID, by the way. And I remember that night she was admitted. I just drove around. No real direction, no real reason. Just driving to take my mind off of all the bad. And it helped. I'm not going to lie. It helped a lot with my mental health. Because I'm a person who always jumps to worst case scenario. And I just sat there. I'm like, what's going on? Like, not hearing the latest every, like, couple hours. And you're just sitting there like, what's going on? And thankfully, again, she recovered. My thoughts and prayers go out to the Hubers, the family and everything. Especially every person they touched. Because in a business where some people will trash you for the littlest things, the man formerly known as Luke Harper was apparently the kindest soul in the world. And then we get to another bit of sad news. I think this was Saturday morning, like very early Saturday, because I remember waking up and seeing this, with Danny Hodge passing away at the age of 88. One of the greatest amateur wrestlers and a trailblazer in his time, Danny Hodge's legacy is deeply rooted in the history of both pro and amateur wrestling. I mean, the guy has the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy in his name. So he's deeply rooted in that. He's the only man to win national titles in both wrestling and boxing, an eight-time NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, and an Olympic silver medalist did so in 1958. And Hodge was trained by one of the old school legends. And Ed, the, Ed the Strangler Lewis made his debut back in 1959 and wrestled until 1983, at least according to cagematch.net, which is how I found out they had some memorable matches in the state of Louisiana, fighting for the NWA world title in a losing effort against Dory Funk Jr. in a two out of three falls match in 1971. I believe this is seven years later. He won the junior heavyweight title for the final time in his career, beating Hiro Matsuo in Shreveport. He vacated a couple weeks later, I believe, due to injury. And then Hodge was also noted for his incredible grip strength and being able to crush an apple in his 80s. Rumor has a lot of it to do with the fact that he was born with double tendons in his wrists. Now let's get into AEW Dynamite. Chris Jericho and MGF versus Top Flight open the show right after the NBA on TNT wrapped up. And my God, Top Flight, impressive as hell in this one. And the way they, they synced up a lot of stuff was really cool. The spots they had, one of those that I just absolutely loved was the 10 punches, then a backflip from both sides of the corner. And both of them are doing it in sync was pretty damn awesome. And yeah, it's like sometimes you can just hate on the choreography of some of this stuff, but it just looked cool. And honestly, sometimes AW, that's all that matters. MGF got the win after some assistance from Jake Hager, followed by the Heat Seeker. So Jericho and MGF are your winners. And then after that, Jake Hager takes the mic and says, everyone in the inner circle has done their job except for Wardlow, who has been out on family business. And then he said, Tony Khan set up a match next week between Hager and Wardlow. So give me the Hoss fight. That is going to be absolutely lit. Then we come back. There's a preview video for the main event, and it's a rap from the acclaimed. By the way, the rap gimmick from the acclaimed is so damn good way better than Cena's gimmick because I feel like they got way more leeway to do whatever they want and Buck Hut was another prime example of that because this may have been the best thing from Dynamite outside the ring action on the show because one more of that yes I think that the dentist room is the waiting room I should say that they have on dark is pretty damn good especially this past week's with SCU I recommend go out of your way and check that out but I wanted more of it. It was like, they gave me a little taste, and now I'm waiting to see the whole thing. I want to see more of that performance. Because it feels like, you know, the acclaimed got over there for me. 
they would get to a Sting interview, and I was thinking to myself, why are we continuing to do these interviews? It feels like every week there's another interview with Sting. I get it. You want to be able to put him over and have him show up every week, but it feels like there is a bit of like a law of diminishing returns because we're continuing to not see him be in ring action. We did get a tremendous Dusty Rhodes impression from him, though, and he basically cut a promo saying, looking back at a start, saying that Dusty wanted to put some color on him, put some color on his boots, his pants, and everything. And lo and behold, that wound up working out quite well for him, and it turned into the biggest thing for him. Mention how good it is to be home, back on TNT. And then Team Taz comes out, and Taz kept saying he was sick of his sensor for radio. Then Sting and Tony were hyping him up. They are sick of that. Then Stark said he's tired of him sticking his nose in their business. And the group's about to go walk to the ring. But nope, Sting and Darby Allen are in the ring. One with a bat, one with a skateboard. Team Taz says, you know what, we'll just go ahead and fight another day. But Darby, you're going to get yours at the New Year's Bash show whenever you face off against Brian Cage for the TNT title, which I can't wait for. I think this going to be a lot of fun. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the title change hands. Then after a MGF segment where he was talking about his grandfather passing away and talking about Santana Ortiz, which really got him over as a little bit of a, a sympathy, tucked the heartstrings a little bit, especially during the holiday season. So I like that. Then we get to a six-man tag that I enjoyed, Jurassic Express taking on Cole Cabana, 5 and 10. And it was a solid trios match. Everybody got their stuff in. And some of the sequences they had were awesome, and the finish was even cooler with Luchasaurus. Basically, it almost looked like he was hitting a like a spinning backdrop, and then Jungle Boy catches him into a sit-out powerbomb for the win. It was really cool, and I was just sitting there like, how did that happen? Because it looked like he just threw him in on his back, and he dude flipped over, and then they landed into a powerbomb. Just a sequence that it was smooth as silk. Yes, it makes you know your boy look like a dope with him, uh, the dark cord. It makes him look like a dope again. But honestly, it was pretty damn good. And then FTR interrupts a post-match interview and says in two weeks, the two teams will face off. And if Marco gets involved, Tully might just whip his ass, which I would love to see that happen. I'm not going to lie. I don't hate Marco's stunt like a lot of people do. But just the fact you'd have Tully Blanchard just punch a dude in the face, I am all the way here for it. Then we get to a promo with Kenny Omega and Don Callis, and this was really good as well. Kenny mentions that Phoenix choked every time he's faced off with him. Since Dynamite says he might have to take him out for good next week when they face off for the AW World title, which was a damn good like promo. Don Callis and Kenny just working extremely well. The chemistry is absolutely off the charts and makes me want to see more managers in AEW, and this is a really good one. So I can't wait for that. Then we get to Butcher versus Pac. And this was way better than I thought it was going to be because it felt like this was pegged as a squash. Butcher got way more offense here than I thought he would. Kingston was on commentary. He was great at his role again and helps to have Tony and JR kind of bounce off of him. And the way Tony was like, you know, don't interrupt me when I'm doing a read. Like That absolutely had me rolling because it was just, it fits so well with him. They did a clunky finish where it felt like Butcher was just waiting way too long for Lance Archer to come out. It felt like things were just out of sync a little bit. And then you had Pocket to win with a black arrow. Just felt like things were out of sync a little bit with this match and could have been better. But again, it was fine for what it was. 
I just thought there was going to be more of Pac dominating, getting a, a very quick win. Then we get to Kip and Penelope announcing their waiting date, which was interesting to say the least because they were kind of just cutting a promo and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, here's the announce date and it's going to be February 3rd at Beach Break. It's going to be a beach wedding at Beach Break. But before they did that, they had the best friends, Titantron, come out, come on to tease them coming out. But it was a fake out. Then they cut to a video of Trent going into an ambulance. Turns out it's a pectoral injury. So he will be out for several months. And that probably just moves on from there. Then we get to Evil Uno versus Dustin Rhodes and really good storytelling over the course of this match. Uno like hurting his hand and selling it the rest of the night. It was a really good like one-on-one match. Coming out of the break, though, I was surprised to see Dustin Rhodes kick out of the pile driver, and these two just kept slugging away at each other, and it just went on and on. Dustin gets the win with the running bulldog. I was surprised the fact that got the win, but it's all about what happens after the match. That's the big takeaway here. Dark Order start beating up Dustin once he turned him down again, and then Lee Johnson... Hits the ring, gets taken down in quick order. Then Dustin gets hit with Nightfall. QT Marshall comes out, gets decked, but then Lee gets back into the ring and hits a double drop kick. He stands tall and helps the natural family back up. Really love the way that post-match angle works. I think now we're going to continue to see Dustin Rhodes in the Dark Order square off. Will he or won't he join as 7? Then we get a really quick match with Hikaru Shida taking on Alex Grassi before the match. Hikaru was attacked by Abaddon, and the officials break it up. And again, very quick. Sheeta hit the Falcon Arrow for the win, and then Abaddon showed up ringside before the finish. And Hikaru just basically way later. And then she poked with a kendo stick at the prone body of Abaddon. Then the real-life living dead girl starts attacking her, and it eventually bites her to end the segment. And literally, they kept cutting back and forth between Abaddon and Hikaru. And every time they cut to Hikaru... It looked like they had more blood coming out of her neck, and I liked it way more than what they did at the beginning of the year with Shayna Baszler and having her bite Becky Lynch's neck, which looked weird. But again, this makes sense more. It's, I liked it more just because it made more sense to Abaddon's gimmick. Then we get the Acclaimed taking on the Young Bucks for the main event, and this was a damn good match. Starts off with the Acclaimed hitting up another great freestyle rap. It's so good. They had a great Topanga reference. She's still got it, by the way. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. And this is your typical Young Bucks match. They held their own here throughout. Really fun match between these two. They had an Escalar Doomsday device by the Young Bucks. And a few minutes later, a Midnight Express homage with a vertical suplex crossbody from the Acclaimed. Even at an accidental ref bump. I don't see ref bumps often in AEW, but they did it in this one. And it looked really good. He sold that thing like he got shot. And the other ref comes out. The challenger tries to use a dirty tactics like hitting Nick with the boombox and a low blow. But can't quite finish the job. Young Bucks retain after a BTE trigger. A great match. And an overall solid show. It's been a great streak for them getting good shows in the books since winter is coming. This was another prime example. Holiday Bash did something not many... Christmas shows do, and put together a solid card from top to bottom, and it all made sense. 
Now we're going to get to NXT, and this was a really interesting show. And it starts off with a Street Fighter for the NXT tag titles. This is how they open up the show right out the gate. Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan taking on Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. And this is where I kind of question all sanity here for myself is that it starts off Maverick and Dane get the edge, getting the jump on their opponents and start beating on them. And it just becomes a regular match. Yes, there's weapons, but it's like, why wasn't this just a tornado tag? It's supposed to be a street fight. I sit here and I'm like, I never think about these kind of things in pro wrestling, but this made me question all things because it's a street fight, but it's also a tornado tag. There's rope breaks. Like, why wasn't it tornado tag? It was regular tag rules. I never see in a fight people tag in and out. Rope breaks. Why were there rope breaks? Why was this the stipulations in there? It felt like a very disjointed tag team match. What were we doing? And then Dane got thrown through a table as they go to break, and it's all Lorkin and Birch from that point forward. Every whip of that belt was like a gunshot, and Dane tried to get the comeback in. But after he tags out for Maverick, Lorkin and Birch throw him out of the ring. And Dane slides on both of the tables. He slides off of the tables and lands on the outside of the ring. It just looked rough. And my God, I have to laugh at that. It's like I immediately just wrote down the notes. I am the table. Maverick gets some revenge with a low blow of his own and some whips to the belt. But then Lorkin hit him with one. And then the cricket bat comes out and puts out the spark. And they retain the tag team titles. And I would have dug this more if not for the fact I completely was questioning my own sanity when I saw a street fight have tags and rope breaks. Like, like what the hell was up with that? Then we get to a very Gargano Christmas. This was in three separate parts over the course of the night. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Opens up with Johnny playing the piano while they show shots of the tree stockings and everything. And I love that they had an old school camera filter throughout this segment. It made so much sense. It's like, the old school like Christmas video you, your parents used to film back in the day. This was exactly what that was, and I laughed my ass off a lot of the stuff they did. In fact, you know, every time you know, Austin Theory cursed. It was like they, they had the Jingle Bells censor it. The reference to No Way Jose had me dying seeing that. Absolutely amazing stuff from them. Love the hype package for Balor O'Reilly in two weeks because this is gonna rule. To be honest, this is gonna be a great moment in NXT. Because these two killed it at the takeover, if not for the fact that Balor got destroyed in that by O'Reilly. But it's going to be fun because I think O'Reilly has every chance to win that title to start 2021 off strong. Then we get to Swerve Scott taking on Jake Atlas. Really solid match. Hadn't seen much of Swerve Scott lately, but he put together a really good like work in this one. A cool sequence of roll-ups here and there, along with a really sick destroyer from Atlas. It wasn't like the, like, it almost looked like the Code Red from Dustin Rhodes, but he did it, like, mid-air. It wasn't like how Dustin sets it up and he does it. It just all came together like one really crisp move. But Swerve got the win with the confidence boost, and honestly, I liked it. It was a very much, a, it was a relatively quick match, but it was worth it. Then we get to Rhea Ripley, Dakota Kai, and this is a really good match with Ripley Dominique for about 75% of the contest. She locked in the inverted cloverleaf, which is always going to look brutal as hell. But with Dakota Kai, it looked like it was going to just destroy her. And just as she does this, Raquel Gonzalez shows up on the on the stage. Ripley's just talking trash, wins with the Riptide. And after the match, Raquel and Ripley 
square off, and we get to see these two square off. They start scrapping, and I was like, yes, give this to me. Give me more of this feud. Then we get to, you know, the Gargano Christmas Part 2, which absolutely made me pop with the fact, because, like, they also had a, a reference to the Gargano Way, but it was, like, Way Protein, and I absolutely, I laughed at it, but then I'm like, all right, that was kind of whack. Not going to lie. But it was still kind of cool. And then this one was absolutely a pop for is Indy Hartwell gets a PS5. Psych, it's just the box. Indy is now christened Indy Wrestling. Gets the Johnny Wrestling moniker added to herself. And I, not gonna lie, I popped for that like crazy. That was that was funny. And it was absolutely like the right, right amount of meta to where it's almost like AEW-esque. And I wish they did more of this kind of stuff with their Garganos because they absolutely have like the comedy down pat. Then we get a quick squash match with Bronson Reed. He's back. Beats Ashanti the Adonis. And it was a really quick one, and he looked good. And then he literally squashed the Adonis with the splash off the top rope. And then Io Shirai comes out like right after and calls out Tony Storm. But instead, we get the returning Mercedes Martinez, formerly of Retribution. She comes back. Io gets some offense in, but then gets thrown in front of the announce table. And the front of that announce table breaks. And it was really cool. And then the whole thing ends with... Candice Array getting the wheel from Shotzi's tank that they destroyed a few months ago. So that's how the whole Gargano Christmas ends. Very entertaining stuff. Then we get to Leon Ruff versus Timothy Thatcher. And this was all Thatcher. And he kept looking to the ramp for Champa to show up, basically. Even setting up a chair for Champa to sit in outside the ring. And he's so distracted by getting Champa to show up, Ruff gets the surprise roll-up on Thatcher as he looked through the ramp once again. Of course, you know, Thatcher's got to get his heat back, so he beats up Ruff after the match. Champa comes out quickly, it's Willow's Bell, and then says, if you want a match in the fight pit, you got it. So we get the fight pit comeback with Thatcher versus Champa. Remember what happened the last time? Somebody lost in the fight pit, they went to the main roster. So who's to say that's the way this whole thing kind of comes to an end? Then they cut to a little pray tape from Dexter Loomis painting again, and this time the painting announced. A last woman standing match at New Year's Evil between Rhea Ripley and Raquel Gonzalez. All the way here for it. Then we get to a really quick match between Tyler Russ and Arya Davari. Russ gets the win. I like this. I'm not going to say it's his finish. He wound up having a submission for the finish. But it was like his second to last move was almost like the Dirty Deeds, but with like an added flip to it. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like a reverse spike bulldog. But it looked even more brutal. But it was awesome to see that kind of stuff. And Tyler Russ now part of Bivens Enterprises. I know Indushare was part of it, but now they're not there anymore. So that kind of went away real quickly. But now Bivens is back. Maybe he's building a new stable. Tyler Russ is the first member. And we cut to the back. Leon Ruff has says he has a rematch for the North American title next week. And mentions that the Gargano curse is all too real. So I'm looking forward to seeing next week's show because of that. Then we get to Adam Cole, baby taking on the Velveteen Dream. I love how they keep showing Velveteen Dream once every like couple months or so, and he just gets jobbed out. There's no long-term storyline with this guy. It's just, oh, wait, we're going to show him one week. He gets beaten up. He disappears for another month. This was exactly that. Pete Dunn runs interference partway through the match and starts beating on Roderick Strong outside the ring. Super kicks abound in this match. Almost every single time we saw Dream go for something on the top rope, it felt like every time he did this, Cole just said, nope, I'm super kicking you. Screw this. And then Cole won after the last shot to get the win. Relative squash. But it all 
is to put over Adam Cole, who's coming, who says that the NXT title is coming back to the end of the Disputed Era as it fades to black. It was a good show, not a great show. There wasn't anything truly great to put over the top for you. Felt like there was a lot of squashes. Felt like, you know, it was all about trying to reestablish different guys. While, you know, other shows in the past, they've been really good. And this was a show where it was kind of like, you know, it felt like you were going through the motions. And again, it's right before Christmas. Makes sense. Meanwhile, we get a absolute banger of a steel cage match for the Universal title. Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns to open up the SmackDown Christmas edition, which started a little bit later than it was supposed to. It started about 10 minutes late. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But it starts off immediate hockey fight between these two, and it was really solid. Every signature move had a counter to it. Roman had a really sick-looking set-out powerbomb, counter of a super kick. The super punch kept getting counter with a DDT. Just It was very much back and forth, back and forth. Kevin Owens had used every move in his arsenal to get the win, but Roman Reigns kept fighting back. And this is what they gave away on free TV a week after they put together, or a few days after their big TLC match, which blew me away after Owens hit a stunner on Reigns. It's like the second one that he hit. Kevin Owens is like, he's going for it. He's going to try and get out. Jay Uso handcuffs him to the cage, give Roman the win, and he retains. Fantastic finish. Something I had not seen before, so I love that. Roman's heel run gets better every week, and, Rowan's, and Owens has been a great rival for him in his universal title reign as a heel. They've done a great job with it. Hopefully we get one more run at the Royal Rumble, especially based off the finish with the fact there was interference. It was a little, it was like a dirty finish. I wouldn't be surprised if we get one more go with them at the Rumble. Then we get to the Women's Tag Team Championship match. It's an elimination triple threat. Bailey and Carmella, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. They take it on Asuka and Charlotte. And I like the fact you went with a little mix and match here. I'm sure having Charlotte and Asuka versus Riot Squad would have been good, but Mix and match worked in this as Christmas show. Sasha eliminates Bay Mello with a frog splash after great work from Bianca Belair. Love the love the hair spot they had during the submit during the figure eight, where Bianca gave her put her hair down and basically Sasha pulled herself towards the ropes to get the tag. And she's been shining on SmackDown as of late. Definitely one to watch in twenty twenty one. Flair hit the natural selection on Bianca for the win. Hashtag as expected. Then we get to Daniel Bryan, Jay Uso, a fantastic match that was a little bit shorter but definitely good with Brian getting the win after the running knee definitely a good back and forth between these two with a superplex counter to a super back body trap off the top rope the exchange they had on that was cool then we get to the main event of the evening a lumberjack match for the intercontinental title Biggie versus Sami Zayn Cole saying that the lumberjacks aren't supposed to attack the combatants made me shake my head a little bit He's like, this happens every single time there's a Lumberjack match. Like, this is tradition. And it's a banger of a match between these two. And I got mad at my DVR because, again, started late. And I usually recorded probably about five minutes after the hour. So I did miss, like, the last five minutes. But I got to see the finish. Big E finally won the title at the big ending. Great way to do it and great way to end 2020 for SmackDown. And they've definitely had a great year overall. Was the best non-pay-per-view show by WWE? I'd say probably. That's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Make sure you leave us a five-star review. Six stars if you're in the Tokyo Dome for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 103.7thegame.com, the free mobile app, and so many other ways. I think the only way you can't listen to us 
is through the FM dial and I think on Spotify as well, at least for right now. When we get on Spotify, we will let you know because trust me, we want to make sure you listen to us any way, anytime, anywhere, any place. because trust me, pro wrestling is what matters most in this world, at least to me. So hopefully you enjoyed this week's podcast. We'll be back with you next Monday. 